0: Hello and welcome to Goblet of Wine, a drunken Harry Potter podcast. I'm Charlie. And I'm Hannah. And we're two 20-somethings reading our favourite childhood book, but this time without an alcohol and cynicism. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing chapter 33 of Order and the Phoenix. So grab a cocktail... Order of the Phoenix. I keep calling it Order and the Phoenix. Order and the Phoenix. Mm -hmm. Grab a cocktail of alcohols you completely just made up as you start recording and join us on this drunken reminiscent journey and drown your sorrows. Hello again. Hello, hello, hello. Why do you always open the, like, you open so many of our written intros with hello, hello, hello. Because they're really hard to start. (laughs) (laughs) We're back again. Guess who's back? Don't do it. Don't do it. There's no need. We're not at a particular point yet. Control yourself, Hannah. <laughs> Control yourself. I'm sorry. Here we are, episode 80, the big eight zero. That's a lot of episodes. Sorry, I'm just reeling from you going the big eight zero. How are you? I'm still tired and a little bit hungover, just like I was last episode, because we're filming it on the same day. Uh-huh. How are you? I am fine. I... yeah nothing's that new really nothing going on with me at the moment i'm like chill i'm like fine you know vibing 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 should we do some shout outs for some new producer level no some patrons just general patrons yeah yeah a astronaut size thank you to alice an anatomic size thank you to anna a neil size thank you to nelly i refuse to read the next one out read it Read no. it. Read it. S- a Charlotte's joined the Patreon. A Charlotte's joined the Patreon. <laughs> yeah, and I fucking told people not to. <laughs> and then one did. Like a dick. She might not even actually be called Charlotte. People might just be doing that to wind you up. That's so true. A carcass size thank you to Charlotte. No, I'm not thanking you. A pizza size thank you to Patricia. A layover size thank you to Layla, who is a new producer level patron. A Sacramento size thank you to Sarah. You do Sacramento all the time. I've never done Sacramento Yes, you have. Pick a different one. Seattle. Size thank you to Sarah. A Brynner size thank you to Brittany. Yes, that is breakfast dinner. Terrible. Why didn't you just go with brunch? Because Brynner's better. Okay. A cholera size thank you to Chloe. And a man size thank you to Maddie. (laughs) Thank you all so much for joining the Patreon. They now get access to bonus episodes which we haven't released in a while but we will get better at again, I'm really sorry they get access to the Discord they get access to our close friends list on Instagram, there's all sorts going on, and there are bonus episodes, the thing is Even if we're not releasing them, there's loads to go back on. There's like thirty to go back on. There's a really good one where Neil tells a joke for ten minutes, which a patron did not say recently that they wished they had never listened to and it ruined their day. Yes. But it was also very iconic because they said this face-to-face Face with Neil. But they just opened it. How did she say it? Also, like, you're she's like said, a picture it was Nikita. It was Nikita. I think she said, I've got a bone to pick with yeah, you. Yeah, it was something like that. And she literally did it in the, like, just most perfect. She was like that joke. Like, deadpan, Like, fully just made it seem as if she genuinely had, like, a problem with Neil. And I saw Neil internally panicked. Neil panic. choked on he, his drink. He was... The terrified he clearly thought that he'd like done or said something wrong i have never seen him look more scared and then she just brought up the joke and like the relief in neil's face but yeah. it was just one of the best deadpans i've ever seen but yeah there's an episode a bonus episode when neil tells a joke and that was the it's reaction bad. to it so it's so bad and you know we do release bonus episodes in 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 waves in like in waves. five episode waves then we take a five episode break then we do five again <laughs> we could spread them out more but we don't no there's also plenty of good good on there like um voiceovers for a few of the films and more will be coming oh yeah voiceovers of um me watching twilight for the first time oh yeah um so yeah there are genuinely hours of entertainment on there so uh, the review that we have today is one that i think was one of the ones if i might just be misremembering but i think one of the ones that actually made me screenshot it and send it to hannah It's from a lovely girl called Meg, who says, Thank you for always being there for me, even if you didn't know you were. It starts episode 55 seven minutes and 33 seconds quote there has never been a time in my life when i'm sad or upset where i haven't picked up a harry potter book i put on the audiobook and it's like having that warm hug i'm doing a full series re-listen i think i can tell charlie and hannah apart now and i feel like that line really struck with me because it's how i feel about goblet of wine especially during covid this podcast has been a warm hug and when i'm feeling lonely sad anxious or just need a laugh so i wanted to say thanks for always being there for me even when you didn't know you were i'm canade as well i'm canadian but i'm part british so i appreciate your perspective on things and that good british sense of humor mm. thank you meg that was really lovely meg that was so lovely thank you i'm glad that we're here for you <laughs> Should we stop the podcast? Yeah, let's quit. Just to <laughs> be him. like Meg, that was lovely. We no longer want to be there for you. We're stopping the book. We're joking, Meg. Thank you. Thank you Meg. <laughs> Charlie, what are we drinking today? But we are drinking a babbling beverageino. Beverageino? Beverageino? Hey, Did bevor-gino. somebody say beverageino? We've not even drunk it we're babbling, so that's a good sign. If people haven't watched Gavin and Stacey, then they are not going to understand what we're doing right well, now. That it was a TikTok trend, so... Yeah, but it's based off that bit in Gavin and Stacey. Yeah, but isn't people it? might get it even if they've not seen Gavin and Stacey because of the TikTok trend. Gross, go and watch Gavin and Stacey. Go and watch it's it's just that and the in-betweeners are like the most accurate representation of, of Britain. Britain. Like, if you're like, do I understand British culture? Just go and watch the in betweeners and Gavin and Stacey. Yeah. You wanna know what it's actually like? Thing, yeah. yeah. anyway you may remember from two weeks ago but five minutes ago from us snape mentioned the potion a babbling beverage and we were like well, let's make one of those what is one of those you may ask well what it involves is me and charlie going to my alcohol cupboard which isn't a cupboard it's an alcove in my flat yeah and full of just dregs of alcohol that we've drunk on the podcast before we took the dregs of the yeah me and neil's alcohol alcove I like to call it basically just fifty percent over fifty percent consists of the dregs of alcohol me and Charlie drink for this podcast. So you like you're like oh you can make loads of cocktails no because mm. it's, it's weird not, stuff it's really bizarre stuff. So what we did is we mixed loads of that bizarre stuff together to form a babbling beverage and we just gave it to Neil and his reaction was not optimistic. <laughs> he was like how does it simultaneously taste of so much and so little? So what we did was we took tequila. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd say like two shots of that we mixed that with some leftover chambord I put a bit of elderflower liqueur in it and then Charlie said I said let's top it up with tonic, tonic water and Charlie said no have you got juice and I thought the only juice we had was orange juice but which we drank last episode so I didn't want that but then at the back of the fridge for some reason I found a mysterious carton of pineapple and coconut juice mm. so we mixed it with that You know what this looks exactly like? Pond water. No, it looks as if someone has like an incredibly severe UTI. It's kind of like (laughs) piss coloured, but incredibly cloudy and kind of a bit red as if there's blood in there. (laughs) It's like dehydrated piss blood and then the cloudiness. (laughs) Cheers. Cheers. I actually kind of like it. It's not that bad. Fuck off, Neil. Neil's such a drama queen. I like it. It's really weird tasting. It is. It's kind of like a summery cocktail. I feel like the juice was actually good cool. I can mostly taste coconut. It is very sweet. I really can't taste the tequila, actually. Neil said it tastes alcoholic. I don't think that tastes alcoholic. I know there's alcohol in there, but yeah. it's not like... I like it. What the fuck was Neil on about? know, anyway, if you want to try our drink, yeah. Tequila, Chambord, elderflower and pineapple and coconut juice i like it are you texting him yes <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> what? <I just> <laughs> oh yeah one of the most recent messages was just a screenshot of hannah trying to lick my face <laughs> from the podcast pub crawl meal um, um, which by so... the way guys if any of you don't follow us on social media you wouldn't have seen the podcast pub crawl oh yes yeah, happened by the time you're listening to this, this, is just giving will of clothes. Thank you all so much for your donations. We raised over £1,200 for our charities, which is just amazing. Neil kindly videoed the whole thing in a varying array of video quality. And we've edited it into a video which is just public on YouTube. So if you go search Goblet of Wine on YouTube, you can find it. And it's called like the Monopoly Pub Crawl. And you can watch, it's basically like a bonus episode, but in video form of us doing the pub crawl. And free. And it's free. Yeah, it's not just for the patrons, it's for everyone. So yeah, go and watch that. Thank you all so much for your donations. We will also just put the link in the in the description. Yes, also that. So yeah, you can go watch that. But yeah, what we're looking at right now is Charlie's screenshot part of the video where I was trying to lick her face. Yeah. Hannah gets very tactile when she's drunk. I just love you. I know you do. Chapter 33, Fight and Flight. Hermione leads them outside and Harry has no clue what she's planning not at all he's like walking half a pace behind her so umbridge doesn't realize that he doesn't know they go into the forest and harry and hermione have no ones like uh, they've been confiscated and only mm. umbridge has hers and harry is like very aware that they're walking towards aragogin yeah honestly <laughs> he's like hermione <laughs> i'm really sad that like we never i know that they come in the seventh book in the battle the spiders there's like a few mentions of them but i'm like i'm kind of sad that we never really got more of a like you know they're keeping themselves to themselves what do you want from them they're chilling i know but i also think it's a shame like what i really really think was like such a missed opportunity was in the seventh book in the battle scene that the car didn't come like that (laughs) That would have been been, such a good way too cliche oh no but i i I know it would have been cheesy but i would have loved it But because we do get a bit of a like a run through like we've got the spiders we've yeah. got the snakes like they, they literally run through the battle yeah. seeing all of these horrendous things and like reliving all of the like previous years like yeah. we get a little you know we get the dementors we get like a little nugget from little every nugget, book yeah i just could we not have just had it like two two and then it just fucking mows down a death eater <laughs> I would be good thinking like the background of the film yeah. just being like the Ford Anglia like... Yeah, because we know it's really sassy because it gives them so much sass. I mean, that would be brilliant. Yeah. It would. Or the Ford Anglia could come now again and save them. Exactly. They could drive to London. <laughs> it would only take 12 hours. <laughs> oh no, because it's a flying car. Yeah. But I think it's established it took them at least six. Even with the flying but it's more comfortable than <laughs> There's also festivals. six of them, so one has to sit on the roof or get in the boot. Or on each other's laps. Hey, hey. That's just when it turns into, like, every, like, teenage smut fanfic. When it's like, oh, and then they had to sit on each other's lap. And when I say every teenage with, smut fanfic... With fic, a brother I and mean, sister in the car. <laughs> I mean my own one. You know, when it was, like, when, like, the Page oh characters i just sat on the lap. and then they played spin the bottle in the carriage <laughs> i'm gonna rip my skin off i wish you'd been <laughs> more fan fiction i know i could start again you should petition mm. patreon I'm... bonus thing charlie has to write fan fiction. but i mean our christmas bonus episode was no the i last mean actually two. sit down and write not our 10 minute challenge if, if people give me like prompts i will okay there you go people hermione is shouting and crashing so they get surrounded by centaurs and this is kind of hermione's intention she's purposely Mm. trying to draw them in the centaurs are like get get off our land and umbridge starts stating a load of laws at them and in these lords calls them half breeds and that they're Mm. not as intelligent as humans which just like read the room read the room Yeah, there's also a line when the centaurs come, when it's just like literally a throwaway description where like kind of the narrator describes one of them as um, a wild looking black centaur. Yeah, it's plain. Yeah, and whilst I understand that like the word black could be in there because it's like speaking to the colour of the The horse, horse, yeah, it's still like... When you, when you're clearly using this as like a metaphor for Indigenous people, and then you've put the word wild yeah, in there, I picked up on that I too because like, it was talking about like the level of violence of different symbols, and like Bane is meant to be one of the most I think it's Bane or like yeah one of the yeah. ones that's like one of the more protagonist ones is like the most angry, and then it's the wild looking black one. I'm like yeah, okay. it's it's such a whole lot of whole of it, you know it's one of those things where i was like not to give jk the benefit of the doubt because we should but like let's just say it wasn't intended that way i still feel like if i a not professional author um that is 26 year old like can you know look at this and be like oh there's there's just a few words here that we we might want to you know t- tweak uh I'm pretty sure JK and her editorial team could, you know. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot going on here that They're we'll get ra- into. Yeah. <laughs> oh uh yeah i think we should say going into this like obviously this chapter comes with a massive trigger warning yeah and we we're, will we're, write in the actual timestamps in the description yeah so when i actually like get to the cutoff point point, i'll put a very clear trigger warning it'll be in the description the whole episode should be trigger warning but i'm going to put a very clear mm-hmm. line in and make sure we kind of talk about it within those lines so people can comfortably listen to the episode yeah um yeah i'm gonna, like start stating a lot of laws and like saying like half-breeds and they're not intelligent and i'm just like Dude, like, you're outnumbered here. Like, what? how did you... Do you really think this is going to... No. Hermione is, like, screaming at her to stop because the centaurs are getting angry. And they fire an arrow, like, over Umbridge's head to scare her, basically. Mm. A warning shot. <laughs> yeah, a warning shot to be like, shut the fuck up. So she uses a spell to, like, incarcerate, like, tie one of the centaurs up. Like, Hermione's, like, still screaming at her to stop. And the centaurs all run in because she's used magic against them. Harry, like, pushes Hermione to the floor to protect her. And then, like, Umbridge is carried away by the centaurs. And this is where we're going to put a very strong trigger warning in. It will have been in the episode description, but we're being very serious here, guys. We are now about to go into some, like, in-depth discussions on rape and sexual assault there'll be a very clear end point where we won't talk about it afterwards but if you do not feel you can listen to the next bit please 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 skip ahead neither of us will be offended just please protect yourselves and use this trigger warning if you need to I actually did some research (laughs) for this episode because I was like, (laughs) I'm not going into this unresearched. Yeah, good, good because I, like, sometimes with these kind of things, take the opposite approach where I'm like, as much as I do want to talk about this and know that we're going to talk about this, I also don't want to talk about this, so my notes are just... And then they carried Umbridge away. Because okay. Somehow, I tell myself, if I don't make notes on it, somehow then we don't have to talk about it. We don't it, even have though to. We don't. No, we very to. much, we very much do, and we should, and I do want to. But I also am just like, if I'm gonna have to go through actually discussing it, I don't also want to have to write notes. Okay. About well, it. I wrote a whole page of notes, and I did some research Good. because I did not know that this was a theory that existed online, or that this was a part of Centaur mythology until about three years ago. I had never considered this because I never studied uh, classics or mythology and I had never heard about it online that it could be a thing because it came from people who do know about Greek mythology. The theory is, if for anyone who's listening that doesn't know, is that in Greek mythology, centaurs are known for kidnapping and raping women. So, firstly... As part of my research, I wanted to clarify this because I've only heard this from Harry Potter fans and the theory about this thing. So firstly, without googling the words Harry Potter, I just went and looked into centaur mythology because I thought it was important that I did that. And I wanted to run through that quickly just mm-hmm. so we all have the same background for the discussion we're going to have. And so that we, you know, don't spread lies about centaurs, which is definitely very real things. I don't want to spread lies about centaurs. So in Greek mythology, centaurs... Are usually bestial, drunk, lecherous, and bullies. They're not very nice people. <laughs> that sounds like a men I date. <laughs> well, they are all men. <laughs> as we established three episodes ago in the infamous episode Gay Beefcake Centaurs. Wait, ding! <laughs> so, in the story of Perithous, not saying that right, Perithous's wedding, after drinking, after centaurs were invited as a kind gesture, bring the centaurs to Perithous's wedding. And they drunk a lot of alcohol and the centaurs became feral and attempted to carry off the bride and other women. Then there's the story in Greek mythology of Heracles, not to be, I don't think, confused with Hercules, but I'm not 100% sure, who tried to run off with Heracles's wife when they were trying to cross a river. A centaur was like, I'll take you across this river. And Heracles was like, okay, take the missus first. And then he tried to run off and r- r- rape heracles's wife however there were civil and good centaurs in greek mythology the most central being chiron who was skilled in medicine and is the reason why sagittarius is a centaur because zeus made him stars in the sky oh. so like you get a mixed bag with centaurs which i feel like in harry potter you we get a mixed bag with centaurs like we know yep. that they are extremely intelligent, that they have a very strong sense of identity and culture, and they are have a form of magic that wizards don't have. However, we also know that they are violent and uh, in some ways and abide by their own laws. They nearly killed Hagrid. They nearly killed Ferenz. Like, they are, by human interpretation violence. We've got a mixed bag with the centaurs in Harry mm. Potter. So in Greek mythology, they're known for carrying off women and raping them. Which is just we always say it, don't use magical creatures, monsters as metaphors for people of color. But like especially don't do it when you're then taking like a creature that then has this kind of association. But even if she wasn't, it's... let's just let's just put that whole thing Aside for a minute, let's just put that the centaurs are an, al- an, an allegory for tribes or indigenous people or whatever aside for a minute. Do I believe that textually Umbridge is being carried off to be raped at the moment? I actually don't, okay? I, I actually don't believe that that's what's happening textually. Like in the story that we are reading, I don't believe that's what's happening personally. I'm not quite sure. It could be. There's other evidence that comes in later. Mm. But like personally, I don't believe that's what's happening. However, <sighs> J.H. Rowling studied yeah. classics at university, which means there is no getting around the fact that she is perfect. Unlike us two, who I was not aware that this was part of centaur mythology. Yeah. She is perfectly aware that this is part of Greek mythology if she, she studied classics. she so She is perfectly aware of what she is implying in this sentence which is why it was picked up on by people who have also studied classics and yeah. mythology i'm really in two minds because i'm like on the one hand like she 100 knew about it and it's in there for a reason but then on the other hand i'm like would she do that especially and i know at this point that they aren't kids books anymore but they're still like young adult books i'm like would she do that i kind of think she would i think i think jk likes littering in really dark things yeah
1: Yeah, Um, this is
0: why I don't believe that actually textually that is what's happening. But I believe that she knew when she was writing it that it was an option of something that could be happening. Do you know what I mean? mm, just Just the bare minimum. Just really gross. To unpack it more, it makes me really uncomfortable because it's using rape as a punishment. Not only that as well but it's using rape as a punishment against a female character who throughout the books and throughout this series we've been talking about has used her femininity as a weapon who has been weaponizing her femininity and now she's being punished in a way that feels distinctly like a female punishment now i don't mean this in the way that men can't be raped because obviously that is an untrue statement obviously they can but when you think of rape as a punishment it is historically been used against women i'm Mm -hmm. just going to preface what i'm saying with that so you all understand the context of what i'm saying so umbridge throughout the books weaponizing femininity the high-pitched voice the pink clothes the girly attitude the oh i'm so sweet now feels like her punishment for doing that is a very female specific punishment because I don't feel like this punishment would have been handed out to the male evil characters. I feel like this punishment is being handed out to Umbridge mm. because she is female and because she has weaponized yeah. her femininity. And then there's also like the added layer on top of that if you buy into the theory that a lot of people have that Umbridge is a trans character. And then it's like you're getting a trans woman being punished by being raped it's just i f- i feel like i don't even have like there there is so many layers to why this is like disgusting and wrong and quite frankly should just not have been put in the books yeah and like obviously umbridge deserves punishment reprimanding and punishment for her actions in this book she has been absolutely abhorrent but this punishment feels like one of these like punishments that's like leveled out by the individual of being like, oh, I got punishment in my own way. Do you know yep. what I mean? It's not like, I know there can't be state mandated punishment at the moment because the, the government is, is yeah. corrupt. But it feels like I got her back in the way that they knew how. And the thing that made me really uncomfortable as well is that a lot of the time Hermione is an extension of jk rowling like Mm. especially in some of her worst points she shows what we know of jk rowling's sexism and hermione is meant to be an extremely intelligent person and i feel like and this might be making too many leaps but obviously jk rowling knew about the history of centaurs hermione makes a conscious decision to get harry out of this situation by using the centaurs now she's put in a really difficult situation she has seconds to think of what to do she panics and chooses to do this however even if she didn't know or even if it's not real in the harry Potter text that the centaurs are carrying off Umbridge and raping her we do know textually that they almost killed hagrid mm. and they almost killed Ferenz. and hermione's like i'll use that and we also know that hermione is incredibly well read exactly and quite possibly would have known would have known but she would have known if it was a thing let's say it just isn't textually and she doesn't know so whether it's carrying off to be raped or being kicked to death Hermione is basically like, I'll take that risk to rescue Harry. Which, on one hand, Harry needs rescuing and no one else is doing anything. On the other, Umbridge could have really easily died in this situation. Hmm. And Hermione would have been at fault and she's choosing to live with that, essentially. This is a very dark dark decision she makes whether we look at it that the centers are carrying off umbridge to rape her or not this is a very very dark decision that hermione yeah. makes like a really dark decision yeah it actually it's almost scary what she shows she will do like when she said that line in the previous chapter i will do what it takes to rescue Sirius." it's mm. like you're killing so- you could be killing someone mm. but it's like i guess and I think, I think it is different because I think obviously when you're like casting spells at each other in a battle, like it is different. But I, I guess that you could argue that, oh, like, you know, how is, how is that different? Yeah. I do think that it is different. And also like, Umbridge didn't have to walk in and offend the centaurs. Like, yeah. Umbridge was fucking horrific to the centaurs, offended them, was horrible to them. But Hermione knew she'd do that. Hermione is an intelligent person. Yeah. And then there's the whole level, if J.K. Rowling knew the mythology of centaurs, which she did, then even if we don't believe textually that Umbridge was raped, which is open to interpretation, then she's implying that Hermione knew that too. Mm-hmm. And also that if this was a thing that centaurs do, why are they on a school grounds? Exactly. This and is I a know that other other it's like, to it. I know that it's kind of hard, like, where are the school boundaries in terms of the forest, but like... Well, this is the other thing because this is why a lot of people say that the whole rape theory can't be real because this concludes with Dumbledore wading in and pulling Umbridge out and Dumbledore is unscathed. If Dumbledore had waded in, he would have known what had happened. Let's say if it's hundreds of centaurs raping her. He lets them continue living in the forest where there are children less than a mile away. Like, I know that the centaurs aren't bound by law and they literally Hmm. say like, We don't go where the ministry tells us it's our. But like, and I know that is this not an extremely unsafe decision with a school full of fucking children? Yeah, and also they are a metaphor for like tribes and indigenous people. Then it's then really questionable to be like, oh, like you should move them away. But it it's more like the safety of the children is kind of more. (laughs) I mean, I feel like it's just a wider issue that why is there this like big evil forest on a school grounds you know it's killer spiders that dumbledore pick a knows better about location for a school killer centaurs that dumbledore knows about i mean yeah. i know the forest is out of bounds but it is kind of within the mile radius and it's not like there's a big fence <laughs> either maybe we need to build a big magical fence <laughs> yeah build a wall <laughs> keep the centaurs. that no i just Never thought about this bit till three years ago until I read the theory. And now I'm just like, we know that dark stuff comes into the book. We've already talked about the whole Bertha Jorkin's baby thing. But something about that, I'm about to say something really weird. It felt like almost a okay literary literary level of dark where children would never have got it. We know Voldemort is super evil. And the theory of what he did just confirms how even more evil he is. This feels like it's J.K. Rowling doing a fuck you somehow. Mm. I don't know why it yeah. feels different. I think it I think for two reasons. One, I think that because Voldemort is such a shit villain, because he's so impossible, and I actually think that the Bertha story kind of makes him a better villain. I agree. Yeah. In that it's actually quite real. Yeah. And it's yeah. one of the only times we actually see Voldemort doing something evil that is, <laughs> like, I say plausible, obviously, to a certain degree in that story, but, like, where a lot of elements of it are, like, genuinely, like, plausible in our world. Yeah, violence um, that is enacted against women. Exactly. So I feel like that kind of makes him a better villain. And then I think as well because Umbridge is a realistic villain, including this is like, I mean, you know, the Bertha thing was fucked up. We talked about it a lot at the time, but including this is so fucked up because it's like, we all do know an Umbridge, but that's not to say that we all are like, oh yeah, you know what's a good pers- per- punishment for that person I know in real life that's like Umbridge? Gang rape. Yeah, like, it's, it's no not one... a suitable fucking punishment, J.K. Rowling. It's something you hand out. And also what makes... But one what, what of the things... I know we know that J.K. Rowling is a shitty person, but like... I struggle to believe that. Well, no, I don't struggle to believe she's so shitty, she's so shitty because we know that. But like, for a woman who has been abused by a man to put this in a book is just it. It, it honestly more makes me sad more than anything because like, mm. s- just like with transphobia in general, a fucking victim of the patriarchy. Like all of it comes down to fucking patriarchal views. Yeah, yeah, it just should not have been included on literally so many levels like but i feel like it's not editor's fault for not picking up on this because you need to know your fucking greek mythology which they probably Mm. didn't but is jk rowling sitting on this lump of information i refuse to believe she wasn't if she studied classics yeah and i think as well like knowing what we know about jk rowling now and you know there's all of the theories and kind of like you know I'm, i'm and i'm not saying this like oh like i think that JK Rowling wrote Umbridge to be a trans character, but I think that JK Rowling's transphobia naturally just leaks into the character. Yeah. In the way that she's described, so I think that a reading of Umbridge as trans is very valid, although, you know, fuck the whole trans villain thing. Like fuck that anyway. But like there are many, many people that read her as a trans character and it just then becomes like just even more fucked up because then it's like jk rowling's personal vendettas and i don't think that she it's almost like did she kind of view Umbridge? maybe not necessarily as oh yeah like 100 percent she's trans but associated her with certain elements of transness and therefore she was more okay giving her this well there's definitely whether you view her as trans or not there's we know that Umbridge is performing feminine mm-hmm. acts. She's perf- she's performing yeah. femininity to her advantage, which people like J.K. Rowling view as what trans people are exactly. doing. Exactly, because that's what I I, I do. Just want to like clarify, just so that people know what I mean when I say that, like people think that umbridge might be trans it's not because she is an accurate or good representation of a trans person it's because it's very much how a horribly transphobic person like jk mm. Rowling would write a trans person yeah, yeah just to make that clear i'm not being like oh i think that umbridge is trans <coughs> because i think that trans people are like that i'm saying yeah. this is how a transphobe would write a trans character yeah Definitely, there's like many ways you can interpret the whole femininity thing. Like when Black Girls Create came on, they brought up the brilliant point that Umbridge's putting on a femininity is like in in a lot of ways reminiscent of when when Black women are punished for putting on femininity that is seen as reserved for delicate white women, and like mm-hmm. that was a really good point. Like and how there's... they've had femininity weaponized against them. Exactly, exactly. So there's like. Many, many different interpretations here, but the central thing, I feel like a lot of it boils down to a feminine punishment. Mm. You wouldn't, to put it really bluntly, you wouldn't punish Voldemort at the end of these books by having him raped, would you? No. You just wouldn't. It's just not how it's going to end, is it? No. And and then there's the additional layer of the whole race issue. Mm. And when you literally in one paragraph have it called out that a character is wild and black. Mm. And then like a few paragraphs later have it implied that they're then raping someone. Like, I just, Jesus Christ, Like, who <laughs> proofread this? Sorry, I'm not Hannah's laughing i laughing right now. Charlotte is really struggling with her pop socket while she's saying pop all socket, these... Pop pop filter. Pop filter it, while she's saying keeps... all these serious points. So she's making all these serious points and all I'm seeing is her like... It keeps falling against her face. And she's and pushing it, it, and push like... it up and then it rotates and falls down. It's doing it right now. It's falling down I'm right not now. I'm laughing at the serious point. Um, Carry on. I'm sorry, I'm not looking at you. Thank you. Yeah, I just don't understand how this got published. And I understand that we weren't kind of, you know socially in the place that we are now back when this was published no. but i still feel like this is just just so many red flags editing hannah just voice noting in to say i feel like what we were talking about at the beginning that we said we'd swing back to we just touched lightly but didn't swing back to fully so i just want to voice note in to like clarify because we didn't come back to it fully that the centals are both uh, likened to indigenous and tribal cultures in the books like they seem like an allegory for that in the way they're described. And we just touched on the fact that obviously um, the descriptions that was used for Bane, which was wild and black, is really disturbing when you then think that there's then connotations that they're carrying off and raping people. But in general, the centaur's being likened through the text of indigenous characters also like harkens back to this this fear-mongering that indigenous people people of cultures that white people don't understand are gonna carry off and rape pure white women and this was a scaremongering tactic that was used for centuries as an excuse to kill indigenous and tribal cultures around the world even when that wasn't true and wasn't something that was happening so it's just a really, really great bit of the book. Um, great. And it, even if I'm going to put the whole rape thing in a box, I'm going to put it in a box, mm-hmm. Putting all, even putting all that in a box, the decisions that Hermione makes are just mm. really fucking concerning. Not only does she be like, well, if she dies, she dies. I've saved Harry. But also she's like, I'm going to... Hermione is a person who fights for the people who don't have voices she tries to fight for the house elves and yet she's also willing to use the centaurs for her own bidding this is why Hermione in a lot of ways does have really slithering tendencies because mm. she's like but it's also, I will get Harry out come hell or high water yeah it's also why she's a really good example of white feminism yeah like at the end of the day Harry is her best friend and she did what she needed to do to get him out and that you know she made some decisions, but yeah, she says she wants to help people who don't have voices, and yet in this moment she's perfectly willing to use the centaurs to do her bidding. Is that good or bad? It's not... Necessarily... If it saves Harry from getting killed, does it make it a good decision? I'm not saying yes or no, it makes it a good decision. I'm just saying that Hermione has, like, so many leagues of darker thoughts than the other characters that she mm. has to kind of process, I feel like. It's really interesting and it's so difficult because I I really wish that I could. I was literally about to say then. You know what I might actually do? I might, when I'm proof listening to this, voice note in with a comparison that I want to make to Buffy. Okay. Because I can't say it in front of you or in front of editing Hannah because I almost said leave the room and then I was like she's gonna edit the this. episode so I might if I can be bothered voice note in just with the comparison that I want to make to Buffy because sure. I just don't want to ruin it for Hannah yeah. okay it's Charlie here hilariously I I naturally can't really remember the point that I was going to make and I swear to god I remember thinking at the time you're not going to be able to remember so like maybe write it down didn't write it down did I I feel like so I definitely remember that it was about Willow and I think essentially I know the vibe of what it was I just can't remember the exact point and I'm annoyed because I feel like it was an intelligent point. But I think essentially what it what I was get, wanted to say was that obviously like Harry Ron and Hermione are like a really easy comparison between Buffy Willow and Xander obviously like you know Harry and Buffy are very similar characters and then Ron and Xander are very similar characters and then Hermione and Willow are very similar characters and I feel like this is one of the moments where we see like potential similarities between Willow and Hermione that aren't really like expanded upon in the Harry Potter books like I I really would have enjoyed seeing like a darker side to Hermione because obviously we get these kind of moments that you read into it are a bit darker but we, we never really have the text as, like, very critical of Hermione and her dark side. And I think that's a shame because that would have been, like, a very interesting um, side to the character to actually have, like, explicitly elaborated on in the books. Um, but to, like, it is something that is elaborated on in Willow's character and Buffy. Um, I really hope anyone that's not seen Buffy and wants to see Buffy is skipping this. Um, obviously, we have... Willow go off the rails and become evil. And I think that it's quite interesting to think about as they're such similar characters in like a similar dynamic. Like if we ever could have had that kind of plot line happening for Hermione, like Willow is very much like that, like nerdy intelligent um, character that then develops this like whole other side and really has like, I guess, kind of a sense of like doing things for the greater good um in like a really like morally dubious way um so yeah I don't know I think that there's like a lot of very interesting like parallels between those two characters and in Buffy we get to see that kind of route elaborated on that we don't get to see it in Harry Potter I think that's essentially the point that I wanted to make but I feel like I had like something more concrete to say about it. I will say that in order to even remember that much I genuinely just had to have like a little sit down and think. Um, I can't believe I'm such a ridiculous human being that just my memory is that bad. (laughs) Anyway, back to the episode. So the centaurs pick Harry and Hermione up and they're like deciding what to do with them and this is where this whole ethos they have comes in where they're like we don't kill children (laughs) and then they're like this one's a teenager he's nearing manhood and on one hand it like kind of made me laugh because I'm like where do you is it like beard hair is it like you know like (laughs) is it it their Adam's apple is the voice dropping are you like Mm. checking children's breasts to see if they're teenagers but the other hand like I feel like this is a really really important part of this book because the whole end of this book is about Harry transitioning from a child to an adult like book six and seven for better or for worse even though he's only 16 in book six he is an adult he has the weight on him that he has to kill voldemort that makes him an adult he's lost the main father figure in his life that makes him an adult does it make him an adult do you want to say that again well it does doesn't it, make him does an adult, it technically? make him an adult it doesn't make him an adult technically does it but like the centaurs are like debating this around him and i feel like it's just a really good bit mm. of the book to represent this whole like to represent what makes someone a child and adult where is the line? Yeah, I also think it's interesting when you kind of... Because you know that I love the theory about Hermione kind of biologically being older than mm. Ron and and Harry. So it's kind of interesting when you put that then into the mix where you're like, really, is Hermione not, in essence, potentially older? Mm. Yeah, How so how do you define adulthood? But then also, is that like a convenient thing from J.K. Rowling where she doesn't want to question Hermione's adulthood she wants her to be the child because she knows if Hermione's an adult what the centaurs would then want to do yeah I feel like the centaurs are centering it around Harry because they clearly have a not just patriarchal society because they're only men um a a male focused society so they're going to turn determine whether Harry's a man or a woman to make this decision yeah but like at the end of the day whether Harry has grown beard hair or not what stage of puberty you think he's in they're both wearing their school uniforms yeah like and like you know that dumbledore exists you know the school exists if they're in their school uniforms they're fucking children yeah like at the at the end of the day they're like this one's near manhood he's wearing his school uniform Mm. no he's not but it's also really weird as well because they know the prophecies about harry so surely they're not gonna harm him and I un- and I understand that it's not like they owe the Wizarding World anything. Like they don't have to be like, oh yeah, we're going to keep your chosen one alive for your own benefit. But at the same time, it and and I know that we kind of see them as this kind of like we see them as Switzerland, you know, mm. in that they're like neutral ground. But surely, if something is prophesized, then they're not going to get involved people, because they need to the prophecy. The prophecy. They're not going to be like. Yeah, we know that the universe has this grand plan that we've been seeing in the sky for like twelve, over twelve years or whatever. But like, yeah, Gonna we kill you killed now. him. <laughs> Sorry, Oopsie. does that make a difference to the war? <laughs> so while they're trying to get out, Hermione, being an idiot in this moment, she's like, mm. "We brought, we came here because we thought you'd help them drive Umbridge off. Why would you say that? You've just you've just seen how they react to like." Doing human... But it, what? I, what idiot? Hermione is a dumb, smart person. They also say, like, when they're like, yeah, yeah, no, they're adults. They say they can join the woman. They're bringing Harry. Is what, so Harry doesn't get... Is Harry getting raped? What's happening? Oh, that, that depends on how JK meant it. What are they doing if they're not raping them? Why they're... does Umbridge come out physically, unharmed, but mentally... Fucking traumatised. Exactly. Exactly. Like, but what do they mean when they're that like That can these... only be one thing. It uh. can only be one thing. Surely. Surely. Well, what do they mean then when they're like, these two can join the woman? You uh, know what it means. Are they carrying off Harry now as well? That's not in mythology. I hate even saying this, but maybe they would make him watch. Yeah. Watch yeah. or participate. I hadn't thought of participating and only thought of watching. Good. Yeah. Heavy. This is the end... Of the trigger warning, if you're joining us again, there will be... We're still going to discuss what happens in the rest of the chapter. We're still going to mention centaurs, but we're not going to mention anything. Rape. Rape. And anything else to do with sexual assault. So, (sighs) that was um, lovely. While the centaurs are discussing what they're going to do, Mm. Grawp appears, because everyone is appearing in the same clearing in this forest. He's shouting Hagger, which means he wants Hagrid. And yet... Like, Harry doesn't get this. Harry, it's so obvious. Haggar, it means Hagrid. Harry's an idiot. He really is. He spots Harry and Hermione, remembers that Hermione is called Hermie and says, Hermie, where Hagger." <laughs> he did learn English. Yeah. He did learn to be civilised. He just didn't want to show it. And likes Hagrid. <laughs> I'm going to cry. I feel like oh. <laughs> this is like I'm sorry. Not to compare Gorp to a Cat, but you know when you go away and then you come back and your cat makes a fuss of you. Yeah. It's like that. Yeah, like yeah, Gorp was angry that Hagrid brought him here, but he wants him. Yeah. It could also be Stockholm syndrome, but you yeah. know. <laughs> well, not, Admittedly. I'm gonna ignore that and yep. just be like, oh Gorp. The centaurs open fire on Grap's face. And Harry and Hermione just make a run for it. They're like, yeah, Grawp can deal with it himself. Which, like, I suppose fair enough. He is 16 feet tall, but like, yeah, he's just also, like batting. They don't have voice. So, what they're gonna wh- do. What are they gonna do? Sorry, Grawp, bye. So, yeah, Harry and Hermione make a run for it. Harry is immediately just so pissed off at traumatised Hermione. He's like, great plan. And Hermione is just like crouched by a tree, just shaking. And Harry's like, what the fuck are we gonna do now? Uh, and like, "Uh." (laughs) not harry's finest moment just yell at your friend who stopped you getting crucially and she's like "Uh and he's just screaming at her yep nice one i mean but then part of me like okay so like not that i get him yelling but we know that time was of the essence this entire time and Mm. it has been at least like i've been trying to work it out realistically how much time has been passing and i think since the vision at a minimum it's been an hour and a half yeah. If you'll think of like organizing the plan, getting the visibility, going into the office, being captured, the walk into the forest, we know took a fucking long time. And then this whole fucking debacle with the centaurs and Grop. That's yeah. at least, at minimum, an hour and hour and a half. Yep. That's a long time. Mm-hmm. So Ron and the others just appear. Which, like, no, so how did they find them? So, yeah, Hermione says <laughs> to Harry, how are we going to get to London? And then literally in the text is a familiar voice said, We were wandering that. And then there's a line, they instinctively they really move moved closer together. together. How would they not recognize Ron's, Ron's voice? They're like a familiar voice. Oh no, go together. It's like if Neil walked in the room right now and I was looking out the window and he said something, I wouldn't think to myself, that's a familiar voice. I would think Neil's here. <laughs> like Harry <laughs> and Hermione, just like a familiar voice, we're gonna be attacked. <laughs> God, just, it's wrong. But also, how did they find them? We know it's actually they've walked like forty minutes into this forest, and like fair enough, they might be following the noise of herds of centaurs and a screaming mm. roar. But like, still, they find them fucking fast. Yeah, like really fucking fast. Mm-hmm. So yeah. It turns out the four of them overpowered the Slytherins ages ago, and maybe this way they've literally been following them. They've only really yeah. been about ten minutes behind, so they overpowered the Slytherins. But it's also Slytherins. like how it's so like badly elaborated on how exactly they managed to like overturn them. And I actually really like the thing in the film where there's a line about how they gave them like Fred and George's like you know like nosebleed nougat. Nose yeah glasses, that was clever that makes. So much more sense. Because, like, we know that their wands haven't been, like, locked away. But their wands have still been taken out their hands. But Ron only explains it with, like, oh, Neville did a great, I don't know, reducto. And then Ginny did a great back bogey text. How? How did you first get the wands? Yes. Exactly. They must have physically fought them. But, like... None of them... Like, the Slytherins are all described, apart from Malfoy, as being quite big. Yeah. Doesn't make sense. No. Anyway, I would... This is where tv show would come in handy where we get to see this and it's also where the one lord that gets established in book seven (coughs) doesn't make sense well if you physically take it off someone we know that still counts but like the thing is like the slytherins have disarmed all of them and then they've Disarmed the Slytherins. It's like sometimes ownership goes when they're disarmed and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, that would then mean technically Malfoy's wand belongs to Ron from now on. (laughs) That changes book seven a little bit. It does just a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah. I I love the thing in book seven because it's clever, but it's only clever if you had established it since book one. It's not clever if you only established it in book seven. It feels like she only thought of it too late on hmm. and it's like and i know i know that there's like some bullshit excuse given but it doesn't make sense anyway but it's also nice because the way they overpowered the slytherins is the things they like in the da through harry hmm. and it's a nice little thing of like oh look at it doesn't make sense no no i'm just saying in the way that it's nice that it's a heart back to the da yeah so they don't know how to get to london and they all just start arguing like they really start fighting with each other Harry says mentally and he's like Ron and Hermione would agree with me that he wouldn't have picked Ginny Neville and Luna to help him and like this reminds me of the bit on the train when he's like oh I wish I could have been seen with cooler people. (laughs) I know I know and I think his attitude towards this really changes after this Department of Mysteries thing like this is where his attitude really swivels because like we know Ginny was one of the best in the DA but he still wouldn't have picked her but I think it's a really good example of how a theme throughout the books is it's not always who you expect to pick and it's not always who's from the outside the most powerful and useful that will be your best Mm. ally. And how Harry, as mostly a good and kind person, wins because his kindness towards people pays off and pays him back these three helping him may not be the strongest in the da the best at magic but they end up being the ones that saved him we don't know how the others would have done we don't know maybe they could have been good but like these are the people that saved him i feel the hit. like his attitude really changes after this incident with the two books going forward but like it's a really good metaphor in general when you think of like dobby is not the ally you would Choose mm. in the war, but Dobby is the one that ends up saving their lives. He is the ally that my dad would choose. Exactly. Oh my God, can I play the voice <laughs> yeah, you note play the voice to note. the podcast? Have I said on the podcast about my dad's weird obsession with his story? Yeah. Well, you know, you said he loves Dobby. So he loves Dobby. And then, apologies if I have um, told this story before. But so basically, he bought, for some reason, He bought several little talking Dobby toys. Well, didn't he buy them originally for your, like, nieces and nephews and kept one for himself? Well, so he bought three. So one for my cousin's, like, children Mm. and then one that was just for himself. Only he didn't tell anyone this. So he just kind of, like had it and then he like had it in his room and then like my mum found it one day just in his room just this like talking Dobby toy and he's now obsessed with it she also found it in his suitcase Aww. when they went on holiday he's just taking it everywhere and is obsessed with it bear in mind he's not read <laughs> Harry Potter he's not seen most of the films I think it's just like at this point it's just a joke to him like he's just it. like this weird running joke that he's got yeah he's playing the long game he is and it's like very funny and i appreciate his dedication to it so the other day basically my dad sent this voice note in the morning morning dobby dobby has heard of your greatness sir And never has he been asked to sit down by a wizard so that's his little talking Dobby toy. <laughs> that's the best. It's very cute. I do hope that it's a joke no, and that he's I not don't. just fully losing it. No, I-, I hope that he just loves Dobby. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Harry's internal argument of thinking these three are shit. Yeah. They're still arguing about how they're going to get there. And Luna points out they could fly on Thestrals and like points out that two Thestrals have shown up. And then they have another argument about numbers because... Only two Thestrals have shown up. And they're like, oh, there's two. And Hermione's like, we need three. And Ginny's like, four. And then they're like, and then Luna's like, I think there's actually six of us, which made me laugh on multiple levels. One, because the trio are so determined to not let this other three come. Two, because up until this point, the other three have been like, we're all coming. And Mm. then Ginny is just like, we need four. Fuck these other two. I'm the one coming. She's full on just like, I've thrown out Neville and Luna. It's four. We need four. I'm the one going. She's like, you three have left me out your whole lives. Watch me. Here I come. Iconic. And then it's just Luna's like, we actually need six. And they continue having this argument of being like, who's going to come? And this is where I feel like Harry wants to save Sirius. Hermione, we know, is very aware of what she's getting herself into. She's already possibly killed Umbridge. Like, She knows what she's... She might die. Ron probably knows as well like ron has been aware of this for years the other three i get why they want to go with harry and i think in their position i would too but i actually really get harry's annoyance at them wanting to come because i don't think they understand what a life or death situation this is like i think at this point they're just thinking we want to help we want to make change Mm. we want to do something without actually considering that they really really could die in this situation. And although I think Harry considers that something bad might happen, I don't think it's until the next chapter where he's standing in front of that row of orbs realising Sirius isn't there Mm. that he has led his friends to their deaths even though he tried to insist they didn't come. Like, maybe he should have insisted harder because there's a it's really fucking lucky these six don't die but i just mm. don't feel like ginny neville or luna understood it in the slightest no and it makes me sad that they're at their innocence like it makes me upset yeah then harry's like oh well there's two me and ron will go ahead and Heidi's just like are oh, you fucking shitting me right now also what the, what were those two gonna do you would die immediately, yeah. you two. Like, fuck off. Mm-hmm. Just ridiculous. They would die immediately yes. without Hermione. I love her just like, you're not leaving me behind. Brilliant. It's just annoyingly sexist as well that Harry's like, yes, Ron will accompany me. Well, he's Why? kind of like, he's useless. Uh, it's kind of like Hermione's covered in blood, so will attract more festuals. I'm like, yeah, but she's useful. Mm. <laughs> Harry finally relents because a load more festivals turning in he's like, okay, yeah, you can all come. And yeah, it just made me like, I know none of them end up dying and the most injured end up being Hermione and Ron, which I think I'll go into a lot because I find it quite like poignant to the series like it's so easy that they all could have died and it's not harry's fault because they really he really didn't want them to come and he tried to stop them coming but i just really do feel like these chapters are the turning point from innocence to experience innocence to adulthood like this i know these books go through a transition period and i know book four is where you hit the dark patch but i still feel like something about this book is giving me a lot more vibes of actual the end of childhood yeah as they fly away into the sunset That's the end of my notes. The end of your notes. Yeah. Cool, Beans. That was a heavy chapter. I don't know what I will call this episode. Nope. Neither do I. Don't call it gay beefcake centaurs. Nope. (laughs) The centaurs are no longer beefcakes. I hope you enjoyed this episode uh, I'm I'm sure you guys all knew this was coming mm. I'm sorry it probably wasn't the most enjoyable and like please let us know your thoughts because there's probably people a lot more well educated that can weigh in on this yeah there's probably people who didn't just google for half an hour on their lunch break mm. centaur mythology yeah. who have actually read classics and Greek mythology and actually know some shit yeah yeah so please do I mean if anyone um, has you know... we will be doing our voicemail episode at the end of this book so Yeah, but if anyone has any thoughts that, you know, if they don't want to email, uh, don't want to voice it in, and if you have longer thoughts, you can email them as well and we'll listen. Well, just because this is a heavy, big topic. Do be heavy. I hope some of this episode was enjoyable. (laughs) Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to this episode of goblet of wine to find us on social media search at goblet of wine pod on twitter or at goblet of wine podcast on instagram we also have a website over at www.gobletofwine.co.uk where you can keep up with everything that we do this podcast is produced by our wonderful hufflepuff tier patrons samuel ronan matt lewis Layla, Catherine, hannah